Well, amen. Amen. Good morning, Station Hill. I'm so glad that you are here. I hope you've had a great Thanksgiving. What an anointed worship already. Amen. Amen. I, I, I just felt the Spirit of God inviting us to something very special this morning, to experience Him, to remember Him, to encounter Him, and to know that He's here to change our lives. If you're already a child of the living God, God is here to nourish your soul and to send you out afresh again. And if you don't know Him as Lord of your life, He's the greatest gift you will ever receive this morning. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for investing in the lives of other people. Thank you for participating in the ministry and the kingdom work of Almighty God. Well, I brought my Bible with me this morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here today. We're selling Bibles for $50. No, I'm just kidding. Are y'all all right? I brought my Bible with me. Do you bring your Bibles with you? Can I see your Bibles, whether it be on your phones? or Would you stand with me? I know that you've been sitting for a long time, so I just want to... I want to encourage you to get some exercise. And so we'd be in the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I, we all love to tell stories. We all love to hear stories. We all love to learn the details of stories. And there's not a greater message, never been a greater story than the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only in Bethlehem, before Bethlehem. Not only since Bethlehem, but even after Bethlehem. And one day we will see him. And he will give us more details to the story. Because the Bible tells us in John that if, if, if all the things we need to know were written, <laughs> the, the libraries of the earth will not contain what the story is all about. This is today the message of Christmas. In preparation for our December, we are going to focus today on Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. John chapter 1. I'll read the first four verses, and then I'll read verse 14, and we'll continue our journey through the Scripture this morning. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Watch this. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now look with me in verse 14. The Bible says in verse 14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Can I get a hallelujah there? We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father... How could we praise you? How could we honor you? How could we rejoice more in you to know that you, God creator of this earth, Savior and Redeemer of our soul, security for our eternity, have come to earth to be with us, to walk with us, to nourish us, to empower us. Imprint that on our hearts today as we share your message with our world around us in Jesus' name. Can I get a witness? Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. How awesome it is to think about what God has done to come to us. How awesome it is to think about what the Lord was like when he walked with his disciples and he's walking with us. How wonderful it is to get the whole picture of what Christmas is truly is all about. This morning we're talking about the message 
of Christmas, the message of Christmas. Now, it is the greatest story of all time. The entire Bible points to Jesus Christ, his birth, but also his preexistence, his resurrection, but also his coming back. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all of the Bible points to the Lord Jesus Christ, the story of redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're beginning to watch in our neighborhoods Trees beginning to rise. Uh, you know, uh, they're beginning to get decorated. You know, something that used to be so dry gets decorated. Christmas is coming to your neighborhood. And you've got trees outside being decorated. You've got homes being decorated. In your house, you may have a tree that you're decorating. You pick it up, you put it in the, in the attic, and then you bring it down, and you put some lights on it, and it lightens, up, lightens the house. And Christmas, everybody says, we're in the spirit of Christmas. But did you know that the first Christmas tree did not really exist on December the 25th, if that was the birth date of our Lord Jesus Christ? So did you know that the first Christmas tree existed way back before we brought it into our own living room. Yes, the story of redemption started way back before there was wise men, before there was uh, shepherds, way before there was trees to decorate. The story of Christmas started in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Remember, our father gave us a picture of our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, and he put them in a beautiful garden. Now, get with me, imagine with me what's happening. Go back with me to that setting. There was that perfect garden. It was perfect temperature. It's exotic. It's, it's radiant with its own beauty. And, and more important than any of it, God, every morning, came out and took a stroll and connected and communicated and fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. And he gave them everything they would wish for. I mean, think about this. It's, it's really the perfect setting, the perfect temperature, the perfect communion. And God said, there's only one thing I'm asking you not to do a straight command. And the command is, there is a tree in here that we can call the first Christmas tree. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's what I want you to do, Adam. I I want you to not touch it. You can have everything you want from the garden, but just don't touch that tree. Now, you know, when you tell a child, uh, you know, hey, don't touch that or don't run to that or leave that away and don't touch it, what do children do? They migrate right toward that. Come here, I want to tell you something. Adults do the same thing. You tell an adult, this is not good for you, they'll step right into it. You tell an adult, this relationship is not right, they'll step right into it. You tell them, don't start that business, they'll step right into it. We all do that. Why? There is a nature in us that wants to tamper with disobedience and and disobey Almighty God. So that's what Adam and Eve did. They've touched the tree that God said, just don't, I have only one command, and I don't want you to violate it, but what did they do? They violated that very same tree. Now, before they touched the tree, there was no guilt, there was no shame, there was no sin, but then they touched the tree and something happened. They began to see something. See, sin invites us to see the very thing that disheartened the heart of God. And we know it, and we walk right into it. So they touched it, and all of a sudden they recognized, they were ashamed, and they were naked, and God came, as he always has done. He comes into the garden, and he says, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, was God looking to find out where they are? Did he know where they are? Yes, he did. Was God needing an update from Adam and Eve? How are you doing? Why are you hiding? Are you playing hide and seek? No, he knew exactly where they are. 
But God wanted Adam to confess his sin. He wants him to come clean. He wants him to take his own responsibility. But Adam, just like me, like everyone else, what did he do? Instead of coming out clean, confessing his responsibility, and instead of taking, you know, own, own, own uh, action, recognizing, God, I need to confess my sins, what did he do? He blamed somebody else. He threw Eve under the bus. Right before there was even buses to throw people under, Adam right, went right on and threw Eve right under the bus. And, and here's what he did. He says, oh, God, it's that woman that you gave me. And, you know, and I wonder how he said it. He might have, he might have, he might have come like, he might have said it like this. I, God, I mean, you know, I, was, I went to sleep. I had no idea what's going on. I was doing fine. I was hanging around the zebras and the alligators and, and all these things. And all of a sudden, I wake up and a rib is gone. And there's a woman standing next to me. I was doing fine, God, and look what she did. Now, did he do that? Did he say, it's her fault? Or did he look at God and say, I was doing fine, and God, it's your idea. This was not mine. Was he blaming God or Eve? Yes, both. He wouldn't take responsibility for his own. And God knew that Satan had just come in, and he has just infected Adam's heart, mind, and soul with sin, that he touched the very thing that he should have never touched. And he violated the law of God, the command of God, the heart of God. He broke the heart of God. And, and God, from that moment on, recognized. The battle is not with Adam and Eve. Now the battle is with Satan. God said, all right, now that I know what happened to the first Christmas tree, I want you to know Satan, and he begins to speak directly to Satan. Our father spoke directly to Satan and said, all right, game is on. The Messiah is coming. Redemption is coming to the earth. I want you to know redemption is coming, and I want you to know it's coming through the line of Judah. As a matter of fact, let me show you that verse in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. This is the first Christmas verse. That was given to us in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Here's what God said. I'm going to put enmity or hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God said, all right, my son is coming. He's going to crush your head. You're going to try to bruise his heel. But I want you to know, like we've sang this morning, the battle has already been won. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for the blood that was applied. Because that's what was the price for the battle to be won. Now, when we look at the Christmas story, I want you to know that Jesus came. And when we look at the Christmas story, what does it tell us? When we look at the meaning of the message of Christmas, what does it tell us? Three things, if you would put those down, if you're taking notes. Number one, what does the Christmas story and message tell us? Number one, it exposes Satan's plan against Christ. You see, we've got to know now, by now, we do know that Satan knew that Christ will come, Redeemer will come, Jehovah will come, Yahweh will come. He will come through the line of Judah. And from that moment, there was an onslaught, a concentrated plan on behalf of Satan to get rid of the seed that will come through the line of Judah. Now, you remember what happened with Pharaoh, don't you? 
I mean, here's in Exodus, it started in Exodus when Pharaoh got really tyrantly, very angry within, knew that there, the people of Israel were special people. He knew there's, there's some favor on them, and he knew that children were born. He was intimidated by the popularity and the populace of the people of Israel. He wanted to kill all the babies so they could decrease, so they could be in grief all the time. And he ordered the midwives to kill all the babies that weren't being born. But, but of course, the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh and obeyed Almighty God. See, Satan from that day has been trying to eliminate the seed, the line of Judah that would lead us all the way to Bethlehem. And then you, you do remember, don't you, the story of Esther. There was a king by the name of Ahasuerus there, a king in Persia. He was a very violent man. He was a very evil man. He had an army leader by the name of Haman. And Haman hated the Israelites who lived in those days. And he, he built gallows, gallows for them to hang on these gallows so they could be, they could be killed. He hated the Jews. But you know the plan, it fired back and God used Esther to bring life and to save the people of Israel through her message to, the, to, that, to that violent king. And, and the plan backfired and Haman hang on the very gallow that he set for somebody else. You see, Satan knew that if he could eliminate the people of Israel, he'll eliminate the line of Judah that will come. Listen, it, it, all the way to Bethlehem. And then we go to the New Testament. And there was one of their own. There is a, there is a tyrant king by the name of Herod. Now, Herod was full of himself. As a matter of fact, he was set up to rule in Israel. He was called by Caesar, the king of the Jews. But then there came some wise men. They came from the east. And as they came, they were inquiring because they saw a star. And they said, we're coming here looking for the king of the Jews. And when he heard that, everything within him, it was infuriated. And, and he ordered the killing of the babies in those days. So there's no other king that could rise. But I want you to know, the king of kings has risen. I want you to know, the king of glory has come. And I want you to know, no matter what Satan has done to stop Bethlehem from becoming the birthing place, for the redeeming plan of Almighty God. Satan could not win, amen? And God is a conqueror and he's conquered. The plan is done, the battle is won, and he has come. But you see, in the story, we've got to understand that Satan had a plan. He had a plan to come against the Lord Jesus Christ. That plan is working today against every man or a woman that doesn't know Jesus Christ by being blinded to the truth of who Christ is and what he could do in their lives as he's done in my life. The second thing I want you to see about the Christmas story, not only that, that Satan had a plan and God stopped it, but secondly, I want you to see that God confirms his plan to exalt Jesus Christ. To exalt Jesus Christ. If Satan tried to put down Jesus Christ, God came in flesh to exalt the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's very important for us to understand. We need to understand that he is exalted in the side of God, in the side of the Trinity. Now keep John chapter 1 open right before you. We're going to go back to these verses. Go back to verse 1. And you can see that the Lord existed way before Bethlehem. And that's important for the Christmas story. Because the world today wants to celebrate. Even other nations that don't believe in Jesus. They only point to Jesus as the one who came 
on that, quote, Christmas day. Why? Because that makes him look like any other man, like any other prophet, like one that could be good to celebrate, but not God to be worshipped. And we need to understand the Christmas story tells us that Jesus is God and has pre-existed way before Bethlehem. Amen? He's existed way before Bethlehem. The Bible says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Notice the preposition in, there's not a definite letter before it. There's not a definite article before the preposition in. This literally indicates that you cannot pinpoint to the moment when there was a beginning for the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He was before the beginning. He was before time. He's in time. He is time. And he's coming on time. And he will lead us and guide us to our eternal place at the right time. He was before that beginning. And we need to understand that. He's not just a baby you hold. He's God who's come to be with us and say, what is the good news of this message? God came to dwell among us. But he's existed way before Bethlehem. Let me give you three things about his existence. Amen. Number one, I want you to see the deity of Christ. This is very important. The deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. Jesus is God. Can I say it again? Jesus is God. We see the perfect deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Way before him, there was light or darkness. He was God. Way before him, there was matter. He was God. Way before there was water and creation, he was God. He is in the Godhead. He is in with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity existed way before Bethlehem and way before time. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Speaking of Jesus Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The whole fullness of the Trinity of God. The whole Godhead dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is full deity. And he is God way before Bethlehem. Now he came to this earth. He is co-equal and co-eternal and co-existent with God the Father. Yes, before he was even an embryo in a woman's womb, he was in this world. He entered this world. He breathed the air that we breathe. He suffered the pain that we suffer and even more. He lived with us. He lived around us. He still lives now in us. I want you to know he was never an identical one to us, but he identified with us. Jesus never became identical to us, but he identified with us. In fact, he so identified with us when he came to be born and live among us. Friend, listen, we need to understand he never became one of us, but he never ceased to come and save us. Are you with me? He, 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 he listen, he, 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 Jesus Christ did not void his deity. He veiled his deity. And he came to this earth. He is God coming to be around us and with us, but he never took on our nature of sin. But he came to this earth, he experienced our sorrow, he experienced our hunger, he experienced our anxiousness and our desperation. He's an awesome God, he's fully divine, he's fully deity. He never left his divinity, it was always intact 
to his own nature. And before Bethlehem, he existed with the, with the Father, with the Trinity. Can I give you John 17 and verse 5? Listen to John 17 and verse 5. Listen to what Jesus himself said. Jesus said, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory that I had with you before the world existed. He is complete deity, and he existed way before the world even came into presence and into creation. That's what, uh, that's what Colossians 1.16 tells us, that he was, all things were created in him and for him and by him were all created. But I want you to see not only the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, I also want you to see the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God, perfect God, perfect deity, but he's also perfect man. He was the sinless Son of God. He was born to come and be with us, to walk among us in perfect humanity. He became man so we can, he can experience what we experience and relate to us. Jesus could have come in many different ways. Now listen, he could have been born of two regular parents, just like all of us. I mean, he, he could have been born of a, of a father and a mother, conceived of a natural seed, but then... If that happened, then we would not believe that he's sinless and qualified to redeem us. Or he could have been born like a shaft of light. He could have just showed up like a shaft of light. But then you and I could never relate to him and he wouldn't be able to relate to us. He had to be born of a virgin's womb. But he came through the virgin's womb conceived by the Holy Spirit with perfect humanity that has never sinned and will never sin. Perfect Sinless nature of Almighty God. You could literally say of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, now it's not just a birth, but it's the arrival of God to this earth. It's an arrival and a departure. See, he arrived to save us and he departed from his glorious place to come to this earth to ransom humanity from the sin that has inhibited this world. For unto us a child is born. Unto us... A son is given. From an earthly perspective, a child was born. From a heavenly perspective, a son was given. Are you with me? See, the perfect humanity of our, our God and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing. John writes about it in his first epistle in John 1. First John chapter 1 and verse 1. Listen to it. First John chapter 1 and verse 1. Watch what the words look like. This is absolutely awesome. Now, after it ascended already to heaven, and John is writing about his perfect humanity and about what he encountered with God in the flesh. And listen to what John said. He says, what was from the beginning, there he goes, he confirms what was from the beginning, not Bethlehem. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have observed, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You know what John is saying? He's reminiscing as time has passed, as years has passed, and, and, and that word from the beginning we have touched and heard and seen. It's a continuum as if as John is saying, man, I can still hear his voice. I can still see what he has done. Can you imagine after a full day of miracles and, and breakthroughs, the, the disciples, Jesus, who was perfect God, perfect human, to feel us, to experience what we experience, he laid down to take a nap. And, and can you imagine those Hebrew boys looking down at him like, this is God. He's with us. 
we hear his voice. We've seen him work. We've seen him bring the miraculous into the natural. This is God. You see, the perfect deity became perfect humanity to break into the imperfect nature of man and creation and to redeem us from what sin has done in the garden at the first Christmas tree. <laughs> Are y'all all right? But here's what I also want you to know about him. I want you to know not only he was perfect deity, I want you to know he's a perfect humanity. I want you to know that he's pre-existed. I want you to see the pre-incarnation of Christ. Before he came in the incarnation and became fully human, perfect, sinless God, I want you to know that Jesus existed way before that happened. Jesus Christ existed and even showed up. We call these the pre-appearances of Jesus Christ. We call them Christophanies. Christ appeared way before Bethlehem. In the Old Testament, there are many appearances for our Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus alluded to that. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he was talking about his relationship with Abraham. And here's what he said. Now, relationship with Abraham. With Abraham. And here's what he said. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And it stirred them up. <laughs> This guy who we thought was born in Bethlehem is talking about his existence in the days of Abraham. He says, he rejoiced to see my day. And they said, well, wait just a minute. You're not even 50 years old and you've already connected with our father Abraham. And listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 57, 58. It's on your screen. Listen to what it says. The Jews replied, you, were 50, you're, 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 you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham. And here's what he said. He said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, I have appeared unto Abraham. I've communicated with Abraham. In a moment, we're going to look at that. In just a moment, we're going to look at just right at that encounter that he had with Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. But let me give you another encounter even after the resurrection. You remember after the resurrection, he is on his way to, uh, to, to he's there on, on the Emmaus road. And there was two disciples wondering what the resurrection was all about. And Jesus showed up to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the Bible says in the book of Luke, Chapter 24 and verse 27. Look at it. This is absolutely awesome. In Luke chapter 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Now Jesus is talking to them. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Not just the New Testament. But in the Old Testament as well. In all the scriptures. He's talking to them. When we get to heaven, I'm going to say, Lord, uh, would you reopen that conversation again between you and the two disciples on the Emmaus Road? What is it that I've missed? Would you share with me all the things that even we cannot mind out of the Old Testament, draw out of the New Testament, and, and, and learn from the prophetic utterances that were given to us? There's some things that I'd love to hear, love to see, love to understand. Would you open that conversation? You see, Christ appeared before Bethlehem. He appeared after Bethlehem. We know he appeared uh, to Paul in Acts chapter 9. But see, we call those Christophanies, the appearances of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned Abraham. You remember Abraham? 
Abraham was a, was a man of faith. His righteousness stood out among all the nations. The generations of Abraham were blessed. In Genesis chapter 22. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and they couldn't have a child. I'm talking about the Christophanies of Christ. The pre-appearances of God before Bethlehem. And, and Abraham and Sarah could not have a child. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord. Now in some of the translations the, the letter A is capital. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and so uh, he showed up to them. He said, you will have a child. And the name of the child, they named him Isaac, which means laughter, joy, because he brought so much joy to them. And God knew that. And God wanted to test Abraham's heart and faith and commitment and communion with him. And he said, I want you, the angel showed up to him again. And he says, I want you to take your son Isaac, uh, your only son, and I want you to bring him in as a sacrifice. Now, come up here. I want to tell you something. God will never ask for human sacrifice. We've seen how the story ended to prove that God will never ask for human sacrifice. Right? But he wanted to test Abraham and to teach us what obedience looks like. Complete surrender, complete obedience. And so he said, I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to get up to Mount Moriah in which we know that a few miles from Moriah, Mount Calvary, right there, we'll see the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now do you see the picture? So father and son are rising on their way to the top of Mount Moriah. And Isaac, who at that time, most theologians believe he could have been in his mid-20s or, or maybe early 30s, near the age of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And he says, Father, he said, uh, now we're going up to make an offering unto the Lord. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham responded, he says, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. Because Abraham knew that God never asked for human sacrifice. Are you with me? So they're rising up, and I can see this now. Isaac is strong and, and, and able, and Abraham is, is tired and, and weary and weak. And Isaac begins to understand, if there is no sacrifice, I might be the one that have to lay down my life. I can even see Isaac in the flesh entertaining the idea, thinking, wait a minute. I still have a way to live. But dad, you have only like eight days to live. So if God asks for a sacrifice, can we sacrifice you instead of me, dad? No, I'm just kidding. You know, but, but, but I can see them rising. An offering, a decision was made by father and son. Father said, I will give my son to the Lord Son said, I will lay down my life for the Lord. Do you see it on Calvary? God the Father said, humanity needs a redeemer. And I am deity. And he's, he's going to be full incarnation, full perfection, full humanity. He had to be perfect God to die for imperfect man. And can you see the Father said, we make a decision. The Trinity will make a decision. I will give my son. And the son made a decision and said, and I will lay down my life. Can I show it to you? In John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18. Look at it. In John chapter 10 and verses 17 and 18. The Bible says in John 10, we're going to come back to Genesis chapter 22 in just a second. But in John 10, 17 and 18, this is why the father loves me. Because I lay down my life. I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Isn't that awesome? I am the one who will lay down my life. 
and I will take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Isn't that absolutely awesome? It's mind-boggling to think his glorious deity and he chose to come to redeem us. It is unfathomable to think that his perfect humanity and can redeem us and be the only one qualified to bridge an unholy man with a holy God by his own will and decision. Isn't that awesome? It's hard to even imagine what God would have done and have done for all of us to bring us to eternal life. But I want you to see how the story came out in Genesis chapter 22, and we'll look in verses 12 through 18. So now that Abraham obeyed, and and think of Abraham and Isaac, and also think of the Lord Jesus Christ and his seed, the church, and look at verse 12 through 18 and see what it says in Genesis 22. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. See, it was a test. Since you have not withheld your only son from me, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in, a, in, in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. Thank God for Calvary, somebody. So today it is said it will, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. That's Calvary. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. Uh, and, and a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I've sworn, I just showed you John 10, by myself, I've sworn, this is the Lord's declaration because you've done this thing and have not withheld your only son. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you've obeyed my command. Oh, how awesome what Christmas looks like. The greatest gift is the blessings of the, what is the message of Christmas? Is that God came to be with us, to bless us, to teach us to obey him so we can live a life that is fruitful for the glory of God. He did all of that so we can be enriched and live out the story of Christmas which goes beyond Walmart and the mall or whatever else we buy. It is the life that we can share. Now you can go to somebody who doesn't know Jesus in your neighborhood, and you can say, I want you to know, this baby that represents the birth of our Lord, God, deity, God, perfect humanity, has existed before time, and he has redeemed men and women from the beginning of time. And even now, and continue to redeem mankind from the beginning of time. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? That's what Christmas is all about. Listen, my friend, this is very important. But now I want you to see, not only that Satan had a plan, but it was defeated. God confirmed his plan to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was lifted up to draw all men to himself. The last thing I want to show you, and I want to close with this, is that the arrival of God the Savior, Jesus the Christ. Now let's move to the New Testament. Let's look at his arrival in Luke chapter 1. Now we'll look in Luke chapter 1. And here we're going to experience his arrival. This is where God spoke to Mary. 
This is where the Lord made his entrance. Remember, we called it arrival. We can call it arrival and a departure. He arrived to this earth to fulfill what is promised, and he departed from heaven to prepare earth so we can come back to him and the church can be raptured when they see his arrival. Jesus the Christ, the one who has come to save us. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive, you will give a birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Do you see it? Satan tried to stop the line of Judah through David. And now he's going to be born and he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. Isn't God awesome? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit... Here's the Trinity involved in the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We've moved from His appearance in the old to His now appearance to be in the new. And He's going to come and be born. And how is He going to be born? Watch this now. He will be born of a virgin. He had to be born of a virgin. You see, if he was not born of a virgin, then he's not God. He could not redeem us. He had to be conceived supernaturally. Friend, this is not a secondary issue with Christianity. This is a major issue. It's a basic theology of, Christian, of Christianity. That Christ was born of a virgin supernaturally. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, there are people who will say, well, he was born of a virgin, but he was just a prophet. No, he was born of a virgin, supernatural. He is God. He's not just a prophet. He's prophet, priest, and king. He's God Almighty. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen? Amen. You see, Jesus Christ was not God because he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin because he is God and he can do that. Because he is God and he can do that. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand, we must believe in the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, we must believe that he went to the cross, that he was not replaced on the cross. We must believe that he died and rose to conquer death, hell, and the grave so you and I can have eternal life. We must believe that he's coming again. That is basic faith and basic Christianity. That is the message of Christianity and the message of Christmas. You know that hymn that says, joy to the Lord, the, 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 Lord will, the, the Lord is joy to the earth. The Lord is born. They, they, how do we say it? Well, well, uh, anyway, however it goes. <laughs> I've been talking for two hours. My mind is just, anyway. You remember that line in it that says, let every heart prepares him room. Does he have room in your heart? Does he have room in your heart? He had room in Paul's heart. He had room in Jeff's heart. He has room in Linda's heart. He has room in Anna's heart. 
He has room in Mary's heart. Does he have room in your heart? This Christmas, the greatest gift you could ever receive is the gift of Jesus Christ. Eternal life, salvation, forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bow and every eye close. Every head bow and every eye close. If you don't know the Lord as Lord of your life, just simply pray a simple prayer. I'm inviting you today. Don't hold back. Believe, receive that Jesus can save you, forgive you, change your life. Pray a simple prayer like this. Dear God, I am a sinner. Just like my forefather Adam. I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Redeem me. Make me yours. I want this Christmas to be special. In Jesus' holy name.